If you were not uh, able to be here this morning, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon that was presented. As goes a preacher's ability to take what the Bible says and formulate it into a sermon, that was a masterpiece. And I am very fortunate as a preacher to be able to sit and to listen sometimes uh, to that kind of preaching. And I hope you appreciate it as well. Uh, this past Wednesday night, I was not here. I had the opportunity to start off or kick off the summer series at Granbury Street in Cleburne. And uh, they are studying lessons from Bible characters uh, during this summer series there. And uh, we had the liberty to choose the Bible character that we wanted to learn lessons from or to express learned lessons from. And so I chose the Bible character of Job. And it's just kind of ironic or fitting that we tread that ground this morning in Bible class. We tread that ground in the sermon this morning. And so it just Kind of seems fitting to just go back there again tonight. <clears throat> As I am making a couple of comments by way of introduction, I would encourage you to turn your Bible to the book of Job. As we will be noticing a number of passages from uh, that book tonight. Typically, Bible students are fascinated with or by the historical character Job. Uh, there are a lot of individuals that the Bible uses to exemplify behavior that is in alignment with God's will and individuals whose lives were not congruent with or not lined up with God's will. And we learn a lot of lessons from each of these, but there's something about this man that just, not that he's any better or any worse than any other, but he just sort of stands out in a category by himself just because of the things that he experienced. And I think you would agree with this sentiment that the more you and I experience life as it unfolds for us, the more we tend to connect with this man's experience. Maybe not from all the evident details that you and I know about him. I mean, we're pretty much told that there was a battle between God and Satan and a lot of accusations by Satan against God and against Job. Uh, you and I know those things. Job didn't have access to all of that detail and information. <clears throat> but his life experience and what would have been known from his perspective uh, mirrors a lot of the things that happen in our lives. And you, listen, I don't mean this in an ugly way tonight, but I'm just going to give you some reality. You may not have been there yet, but all of us will be sitting in some of the seats that Job sat in as he experienced the unfolding of life. Life is going to happen to us in ways that hurt. And we need to know that because the way we respond to that is going to determine how we 
come out on the other side of that. There are many lessons to be learned from this man's life, and so I want to consider some of them tonight. In the first place, there are lessons about adversity, and you probably are thinking, well, that, that's a given, right? And, and it is. When you think about Job, you think about adversity. But there are some lessons that I think would do you and me a world of good to learn from him and to know about from his experience because it will help us as well. You and I get a behind-the-scenes peek that elicits great consternation. I mean, just, just reading chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, and chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and getting an idea of what's taking place in the presence of God is, is kind of mind-boggling, and we don't really know all that we know about that, but it, it's just very intriguing to see that. And so let's take just a minute to read these two sections. Notice with me Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking about uh, back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him in the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> and so you know, he goes out, he causes great grief to Job. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But I want to jump ahead to chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 for just a moment and notice the second chapter of this conversation. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown <clears throat> of his head. Now, I wanted to read that and bring that to the forefront and surface because 
The reality of these conversations is very important when you think about Job's life experience. Job did not have access to this information. Job did not know about these conversations between God and Satan. And that's an important detail to notice when we examine how this man dealt with his adversity. Because if you and I know everything about an experience that we must endure, that knowledge just might be the information we need to endure it. Let's just say, let's just say you are going to be a Navy SEAL or something and you were in that intense period of training and testing, and you were at the point where you were about to give up and go ring that bell, but you received a little bit of insight. And the insight was, there's only one more test, and this is what it is. And if you endure that test, then you'll pass. I have a mind that for maybe all of us, we would be more emboldened and empowered to endure that last test and not give up because we we had a clear picture of everything that was going on and everything that we could expect. And I have a mind that Job, if he had known that he was the testing ground of a conversation and a discussion and accusations by Satan toward God, he would have been emboldened and empowered by that knowledge to do even more to endure those things. And I say all that just to remind us that he didn't have that knowledge. Here is a man enduring things that he doesn't understand. And he endures it. And he comes out on the other side of it. And he is a great example for us tonight of how to deal with adversity in our life. Adversity and suffering are evident in a number of ways. I think it's important also to point out that adversity and suffering are not merely wages of wrongdoing. Isn't that the question that kind of comes to the mind when we suffer? What did I do wrong? And sometimes it's pretty easy to answer that question. I brought this on myself. But that's not the case always, as is the case with Job. Here's a man who rehearsed his life, and he played it forward and backward looking for reasons for him to be in the situation that he was in, and there weren't any. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and through 8, remind us that we reap what we sow, but sometimes we reap because of sin on someone else's part, because of time and chance happening to all men, because we live in a world that has been affected by the fall of man and by sin. And sometimes, evidently, we become the proving ground of faithfulness to God, as is the case 
with Job. And I know that that brings up more questions than answers because we don't live in a miraculous age, but we live in a time and in a world where Satan wields some influence and he still wields influence in our lives today, else why would we even be bothering studying and talking about this tonight? So let's look at some of the lessons regarding adversity that Job teaches us here. First, we note that Job was a righteous man. A righteous man. The Bible says that very clearly. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil, just like God said of him. Look at verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth. None like him. A blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Chapter 2, verse 3. Again, just notice. Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. Job was a righteous man, but he faced adversity. Well, in what ways did this man face adversity? Well, he faced adversity in financial ways. Look at chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Now there was a day when the sons and daughters, uh, Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabaeans raised, uh, raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire from God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. You want to talk about wave upon wave of financial and monetary ruin and adversity. Job faced it. He faced adversity when it came to his financial possessions and material things. And so that put him in a situation. Is he a lover of those things or is he one who loves God more? The Bible admonishes humanity about loving material things and being concerned about wealth. I think of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and following. Those who are rich fall into temptation and snare and into many hurtful lust, which drown men, uh, harmful lust, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Chapter 6 and verse 17 of 1 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy to charge those who are rich in this world to be not high-minded, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. And so here was a test for Job. He faced adversity in financial ways, and yet it doesn't destroy him. But notice in the second place, he faced adversity in what we might say are familial ways with regard to his family. In chapter 1 and verse 18, 
While he was still speaking, that former servant, another came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in your oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and fell on the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Familial ways. And so his children have died. In chapter 2, verse 8, you see when Job, or chapter 2, verse 9, rather, when Job is, is in his ash heap, suffering immensely from the pain that he has been stricken with, his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. And so he, he seemingly has lost the support of his wife. He's lost his children and so he's faced adversity in familial ways. You know, finances, money, our strong family connections and our love for our loved ones are very strong influences in our lives. And when they are affected, how does it affect us? The great example in Job is that he retained his integrity and his faithfulness to God even when he faced adversity in these ways. There's a third and a fourth. Here's the third way that he saw adversity. <clears throat> Job saw adversity in what we might say are physiological ways. Ways that pertain to his physical nature, both externally and internally. In chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, we see that Satan struck him with painful balls from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. Now look at 8. And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of his ashes. Physical, immense, physical pain with no understanding as to why these things had come upon him. But it's, it's worse than that. Look at chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. I said in physiological ways because it's more, there's more impact on him bodily and physically than just that external part. Look at what he says in chapter 6. Job answered and said, Oh, that my grief were fully weighed and my calamity laid with it on the scales. What, what if you could take what's going on inside of me right now and put it on a scale and measure it and weigh it? What would that look like? Verse 3, For then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words have been rash. What, why? Why? Why is Job so distraught? Why is, is he in such anguish and speaking rashly? Well, if what's going on, not only with his physical body, but inside of him, the grief, the anguish, the hurt, the confusion, if all of that could be put together on a scale, it would weigh more than the sand of the sea. And I don't even know how to begin to tell you how heavy that is. 
I just know it represents a lot of weight. And so this represents emotional adversity, physical adversity. And the thing about this is, this is really the part that you can't see. You can't see it. And it may be the part that's felt the most. And so he suffered. He saw adversity physiologically, but he endured. And then I would say another is he faced adversity in faith ways. His faith faced a test. Look at chapter 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why my finances have been ruined the way they have. I don't know why my family's been taken from me. I don't know why I'm suffering physically like I am and I can't bear what's going on inside. I don't know. But what I do know is even if God were to slay me, that would not change my faith in him. Now, I just wonder for us tonight, if we can learn some lessons from this man about adversity. And I wonder when we face financial hardships and challenges, if we're quick to shake our fist at God and run away from him, or are we like this man and draw closer to him? If tragedy and adversity strikes us in familial ways, do we run from God in anger at him and blaming him? Or do we draw closer to him? When it becomes physiological, I've known people, and you, you have as well, who have arrived at a station in life where they have a physical ailment that just causes them pain all the time. If that were my lot or your lot, would it send me away from God? Or would it bring me closer to him? And would the sum total of my anguish and adversity make my faith stronger? Or would it destroy it? There's a lot to learn from this man when it comes to adversity. Though suffering seems unbearable, Job teaches us that it's always endurable and if we can accept it, even beneficial. Job is the worst and best case example of this point. In chapter 1 and verse 20, We read, then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshiped. Verse 22, in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Chapter 2, verse 10, when Job's wife said what she said, the next verse says, he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? And then again, in all of this, Job did not sin 
with his lips. And so he's the worst case we can imagine, but he's the best case we can imagine because he teaches us what is possible when we face adversity in life. And we have the same assurance today that we can endure adversity. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 was part of our lesson this morning in Bible class. God is not going to put anything upon us that we are not capable of enduring, whether it's temptation to sin or whether it's the endurance of trials and adversity in life. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 says, and not only that, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And one more, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, then that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. The first lesson, and perhaps the most important one and pressing one for us tonight that we learn from this man's life is that adversity is going to come into our life. And we may not always know why, how. We may not be able to answer those questions. But what we can do is face them and endure them in all the areas that Job did and come out clean on the other side of them just like he did. The second thing that we learn about this man or the second area of lessons that we learn from the life of Job can be found in the quotable quotes in the book. There are some statements in this book that just resonate in and of themselves and teach amazing lessons. We're not, we can't spend a lot of time on this, but let me just give, give them to us. Here's the first one. And it's in chapter 1, verse 8, and it's in chapter 2 and verse 3. Have you considered my servant Job? What if that were you? What if Satan pranced before God and celebrated his walking to and fro in the earth like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. And God said, have you considered my servant? Insert your name there. Hey, there's, there's nothing really exciting about being made the test case of something. You know, whether it's some training or maybe a, you're being an employee for a particular company, we don't really like being put on the pedestal as an example of what you would find throughout this company or throughout this organization. It's not really exciting to be that kind of representative, 
But what about being a representative of humanity's faithfulness to God? Have you considered my servant? Insert your name. And there are a lot of personal lessons in that question that ought to move us to deep contemplation about our faithfulness to God. Here's the second one. Chapter 1, verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away, or the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Would you be comfortable with that sentiment if you had experienced what Job experienced? If he took everything you have, if everything that you have materially, financially, were gone tomorrow, would you be comfortable? I mean, we might say it, but would we be comfortable saying, naked I came into this world, naked I will return the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Again, another opportunity for deep contemplation about our faithfulness to God regardless. You know, the interesting thing about this is what Satan did was in essence a test of God's worthiness for service. I mean, that, that, that was, that's really what's on the line. Is God worthy of man's service and faithfulness? And if you take away everything that God has given and blessed, will man still be faithful to God? You see, it, it's about his nature versus our needs. Do I serve God faithfully because of what I need from him? Or do I serve God because of his nature? Because of who he is, regardless. And it matters because if I serve him for what I need and those needs aren't supplied and met, then I'm on my way, I'm packing, I'm leaving. But if I serve him because of his nature, it doesn't matter what I have. I'm going to be faithful to him. Another opportunity for deep contemplation. Of course, there's the one in chapter 21, verse 7. Why did the wicked prosper? Why? The psalmist addressed that in Psalm 73, Psalm 37, passages that talk about the fact, and 1, Peter, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, that talk about Sometimes the wicked seem to prosper, but they're going to get their due. And don't make your response and your faithfulness to God dependent upon what happens with the wicked. The wicked. And then 13, 15, we already looked at, though he slay me, I'm not going to forsake him. And so what about us? I think of opportunities in the Bible where, where people were deprived or they were put in that situation. I think about Adam and Eve, expelled from the Garden of Eden because of sin. I think about Hezekiah 
in 2 Kings chapter 20 when he's told that he's going to die. Think about the disciples in John chapter 6 when they realized how hard it was going to be to be a follower of Jesus. I think verse 66 says many of them, they left him, they fled from him because of the adversity, because of what it was going to require of them. And I just wonder about us if we're thinking tonight about these very same things. And can we say with confidence, though he slay me, yet will I not forsake him. There, there are some amazing statements and questions, some quotable quotes in the book of Job relative to this man that teach us some amazing lessons. There's one other point of observation that I want to make tonight relative to this book, relative to the journey of faith of this man and the power that this account of the life of a real historical Bible character wields in our lives. There are lessons about the growth that takes place in the hope of salvation in this book. There, there are four key chapters in the book of Job that demonstrate the growth of faith and hope towards salvation. And here they are. You ought to Take the time to look at them and, and study the book of Job from this perspective sometime. In chapter 9, verses 30 through 33, we read the essence of it is this. God is not a man that I can, con I can confront him and talk to him. And there is no mediator between us who can lay a hand on me and on God and reconcile this evident problem that's taking place. Job's journey of faith here in the hope of salvation started with a feeling of hopelessness, no hope. I can't, I can't go up there and talk to God. And as far as I'm concerned, there's no mediator. Some translations say umpire. Somebody that could put their hand on my shoulder and on God's shoulder and say, let's make reconciliation. No hope. I don't see that, Job says. Then when you get to chapter 13, verses 16 through 19, you see Job's confidence in justification. He says, in essence, this. He is my salvation. I'm no hypocrite. I know I will be vindicated. Job knows enough about God's character to know that he's not going to be left in this unjust situation. He knows that God is his salvation and that one day, eventually, somehow, he will be vindicated. The third point of observation in this, this grouping of passages is in chapter 16, verses 17 through 21. And he says there, O earth, do not cover my blood. Let my cry have no resting place. Surely my witness is in heaven and my evidence is on high. You see the growth of his faith and his hope towards salvation? I have no hope. Wait a minute. I'm not a hypocrite. I know I'll be vindicated. In fact, 
My witness is in heaven, and the evidence is on high. And then the finality of it is in chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. Listen to these words. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And he did, by the way. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, and he will, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. That's hope. From no hope to I know I'll be vindicated, vindicated to I know God is my salvation, my evidence is on high, to I know my Redeemer lives. He'll stand on the earth, and Jesus certainly did. And I will see him in my flesh. The resurrection is a fleshly, bodily resurrection. And everyone who ever lived and died will see God in the flesh before they're changed to receive their eternal assignment. And Job has grown in his confidence in this regard. And so there are lessons about growth in the hope of salvation. And all of this came to be realized through adversity. There are lessons in adversity. There are lessons in quotable quotes. There are lessons in the hope of salvation. It's unlikely, brothers and sisters, that you and I will ever fight on the battlefield, a battlefield as fierce as this one. Many Christians surrender their lives and their hope in much smaller skirmishes. The challenge for us is to love God more than anything and to trust him through everything. You know, there are a lot, there's a lot that we would not know about Job without this interaction with the devil. And I'll just conclude with this tonight. There's a lot that we don't know and won't know about ourselves until we have interactions with him. May God help us to have the faith that Job had as has been so ably demonstrated to us in his word, in God's word. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I hope that you'll consider obeying the gospel through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism for the remission of your sins, become a Christian tonight with the hope of salvation. Maybe as a child of God, there are some things that we've learned tonight from our consideration of Job that need to change in our lives. Might you have and I have the courage and the will to make those changes as necessary? If you're subject to the invitation tonight in a public way, we're going to sing a song to encourage. Why don't you come as we stand and sing? Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.